You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. We're going back, back to the beginning again, discussing origins. And to do this, I brought on Dr. Douglas Jacoby. He's an international Bible teacher after serving as a minister on church staff for 20 years in London. Birmingham, Sydney, Stockholm, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, and Washington, D.C. He's worked as a freelance teacher and consultant. He's engaged in a number of debates with well-known atheists, imams, and rabbis. He's also an adjunct professor of theology at Lincoln Christian University. Since the late 90s, he's led annual tours to the biblical world. With degrees from Drew, Harvard, and Duke, he's written over 30 books, recorded nearly 800 podcasts, and spoken over 100 universities and in over 500 cities. In one of 26 nations around the world. They, he and his wife have three children. And his wife is Vicky, and they reside right here in the Atlanta area. We have to get together sometime. I'm sure we will, Nick. Thanks. So uh, if my audience doesn't know much about you, tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. You know, I had a lot of questions about the faith before I became a Christian. And it was in my late teens, I got very excited. When I went to university, I think I was pretty right uh, and receptive to the gospel. And I just kept studying to answer my own questions and to answer other people's questions, Mm -hmm. especially at universities. So um, apologetics has been an important part of my life from before I became a Christian all the Mm -hmm. way up to today. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to say, as much as I'm looking for this conversation, there is one bone I usually have to pick with you. Why oh, yeah. do you so often seem to win against me in words with friends? It drives me nuts sometimes. <laughs> oh, you you beat me too, Nick. <laughs> yeah, you're one of my best competitors there. You're very you're very focused. Okay, so let's talk some about origins. Now, some people might wonder that you and Paul Copan wrote this book together, but neither one of you are Old Testament scholars. From what I understand, am I right? Not that's right. So Not why officially. should we listen to a non-Old Testament scholar, a pair of them, on what the Old Testament says? Well, of course, most Old Testament scholars are so focused on their part. Mm. You know, their their fo- their speci- specialty is is Haggai, or maybe it's the books of the Kings. Uh, I, I think sometimes generalists can offer something too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- uh, Paul is a a philosopher, um, an ethicist. I'm I'm in biblical studies, but I do a lot of other things. If you guys haven't heard the book, that's what it looks like. That's mm-hmm. the cover I'm showing you. Yeah. And uh, it came out when it came out. We were very surprised. There were two other books that came out the same year, the same take on Genesis one to eleven. But questions about Genesis come up so frequently in the university setting. 
Paul's a professor. Mm -hmm. I'm an adjunct professor often on mm -hmm. campuses that uh, we need resources to help us make it through those early chapters. Just within this past week, I think it was, I made a post on Facebook and saying, you know, people are, Genesis is important and we need to study it, but please remember what is central of a Christian is the resurrection of Jesus and that has to come first. It's amazing how many people went in an absolute panic over that post as if I'd spread some dangerous heresy or something. Well, what about original sin? What about historical Adam? What about all these other things? Right. So many questions come from Genesis. I found that it's the first 11 chapters of the Bible and the last 22, that is the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. where people have so many strong opinions. And mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, Paul and I have a great interest in the beginning of the Bible as well. We're no different. So let's uh, try and jump in because we've only got an hour here today. Um, when you're looking at the first chapter alone. What's your take on this? Are you a young of creationist, old of creationist? What are you? Now you're just, you're, you're, you're talking about the first chapter of Genesis. Yes. Well, let me say first, where we stand doesn't really have to affect how we interpret uh, those early chapters of Genesis, because our whole mm -hmm. point is the best way to interpret them is against the background mm -hmm. narrative that was circulating. Mm -hmm. the Egyptians, Babylonians, Hittites, Sumerians, and so forth. Now, uh, Paul and I, I think we, we both land in the same place when it comes to the age of the earth, and even when it comes to how God did it. So mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed. I'm a, what you would call an evolutionary creationist. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, there's just some people that say, but you know, I think most evangelicals these days are okay with an ancient universe. Mm -hmm. Probably a universe that had to be billions of years old for everything to get in line with the elements mm -hmm. and the planets and everything. And then people these days are very open to an ancient Earth. They're not. I don't often meet people who think the Earth is only a few thousand years old. So we accept cosmic evolution. We accept geological evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to be one continent and now we're many. It's a different world than in the time of the dinosaurs. And I guess the current frontier is biological. But again, this is not essential for our book. Mm -hmm. Our book is not trying to steer people in the direction yeah. of, of one kind of creationism or another, as long yeah. as we believe in the creation. Yeah. For, for my personal, I tend to go with John Walton's interpretation of Genesis 1. But mm -hmm. sometimes when people ask me about evolution, I say, don't know, don't care. Because mm. I'm not a scientist, I couldn't make a case for or against. All I can say is, look, God did it, here's why he did it, how and how long it took, that's for the scientists to figure out, let them have fun doing it. Well, right, I mean, the, you know, why, why was Genesis written, why was the Bible written? It's not written to give us science. If it were, yeah. then we might really need to... Um, uh, come to a, a position that we all share on this, but it, it's on the side. It's really not central. Mm -hmm. The Bible is a book of relationships telling us about our God and how we relate to him and to each other. And it's it's not a book of physics or chemistry. Mm -hmm. So why do you think this is such a major, major issue that especially young of creationists I meet many times seem to be like, oh, uh, yeah. if you... If you deny this, where you're calling all of Scripture into question. 
Uh, well, for a, a period of time, um, I shared in that um, mm -hmm. that persuasion. I, I meet many people who kind of they went through a phase mm -hmm. where they didn't know any Bible, didn't have any opinion on Genesis. Then it was mm -hmm. young earth creationism, because these guys are very passionate. And then it's old earth creationism as the as the evidence mounts up, and then it just keeps going from there. Um, I think there's a lot of polarization that's been going on. Um, it's kind of like with politics. Uh, from uh, in, in the United States, I don't think the two major parties are that far apart. I think they agree on more than they disagree on. Mm -hmm. But some people want there to be tension and polarization. So I think some of it just stirring up, um, just whipping up a frenzy. And then you have cons uh, concerted efforts, especially since the 60s, with the flood geologists um, and with the young earth creationist uh, really uh, trying hard to influence Christian education. Mm -hmm. Well, there may be other reasons, Nick, but I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think it's just, it, I think in our culture today, we've, Mark Noah wrote an interesting book, not all connected to this, but it was called uh, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis. Oh. And in it, he talked about how most people in America looked at the Bible and thought the Bible should be readily understood immediately by them without needing any background information. And lo and behold, they allowed slavery to persist. The better arguments were by the abolitionists, but they required a nuanced understanding, historical context, everything, and most people wouldn't have it. Yeah, I, you know, that makes me think of just the way we're wired, relationships. If someone said, well, I can get to, get to know Nick immediately. Um, I don't need any background. I don't need him to tell me his life story. I just talk to him and I'll connect at the deepest level. I'm not really sure that's true. <laughs> Getting to know each other, we're right. We're face to face. Yeah. You have to, it takes time to, to make that bond. I think with God's word, we don't do people a favor. If you know they're, they've just become Christians, they just come out of the baptistry, and we toss them a Bible and say, here, read this. It means what it says, and it says what it means, <laughs> as though any good-hearted person would agree with, well, me and you. Yeah, yeah. I, I happen to have Asperger's. So, you know, mm -hmm. if someone tried your approach to getting to know me, just walking up and start talking, they are not going to get to know me because I'm going to probably be heading for the hills. The only exception might be that you kind of smuggle yourself into my world, which means you have to know me a little bit, mention something I like, come up here and say, yes. hey, tell me about your wife. Oh, okay. Let's talk about Final Fantasy. Oh, got it. Have you ever seen Smallville? Okay, let's go. All those kinds of things, yeah, but you don't do that without any right. background knowledge. No, they're important, and of course I wouldn't come up to you that way. Yeah. Uh, we have several uh, members of our family with Asperger's on, in the British side and the American side, mm -hmm. and I know what you're saying. Um, but it's, I think anyone would head for the hills. If someone mm -hmm. came up to him and just presumed to know all about him and, or not to really care what mm -hmm. makes him tick, that's not right. That it's, we have to be relational and intentional in that way. So let's move on since we don't have as so much time. Let's talk some about the historical Adam because this is going to be another big, uh, big uh, <laughs> obstacle here because so many people yeah. can say, well, you know, Paul made a historical Adam absolutely essential for his case. And if you're going to deny Adam and Eve, well, you're going to deny original sin. If you're going to deny original sin, there is no need for a redeemer. There's no need for a redeemer. And Christianity is, <gasps> oh my gosh, it's a panic. 
Right, those those long chains. Mm -hmm. It reminds me when I was a young Earth creationist. I once, I, I had a canoeing trip, and my partner, I, I was 18, my partner was 50, mm -hmm. and he was a scientist. And I said, "Do you believe in evolution?" He said, "Yes." And I said, "Well, how can you be saved then?" And he said, "I'm not sure I am." Mm -hmm. And that actually confirmed me in that kind of thinking. Yeah, uh, it's become less uh, controversial among evangelicals that the Earth is ancient or that. There's a degree of evolution, maybe total, maybe significant. And right now it's kind of the focus is going, as you mentioned, to the historical Adam. And probably mm -hmm. after that, it'll be on the, the flood. That'll mm -hmm. be probably a, a hot topic. But my view doesn't require us to think one thing or the other. You know, yeah. the first time I read Genesis, Nick, I was nine mm -hmm. and I read the first 11 chapters. I remember stopping. And I didn't read again for another eight years. But in those, those uh, that short time as a nine-year-old, when I was reading Genesis, I thought, this is talking about me. I feel guilty. I identify with Adam. Oh, I identify with Cain. Like that mm. time I hit my brother and he had to go to the hospital. Mm. I, I think I was getting the basic point of it. Uh, it was later on I got a lot more confused. I was told, no, no, you have to believe he was a real person or he wasn't. Mm -hmm. When the guy's name, as you know, means mankind. Mm -hmm. And Eve, Hawa, means living. In fact, since Adama is the word for dirt, Adam would be the masculine form for the Hebrew word for dirt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people get offended. Uh, oh, you're saying, uh, you, you know, maybe your great-great-grandfather was a monkey, but mine wasn't. I prefer the biblical view. What's the biblical view? Well, that you just came from dirt. Mm. Is that somehow more glorious? Yeah. You know, either way you look at it, it's an ignoble beginning. Although it's not ignoble, it's noble. Now, my personal view on it is, at this time, I still do think there was a historical Adam. Sure. Uh, whether they were the only, he and his wife Eve were the only people on Earth at the time, I'm skeptical of that one a bit. Mm. I, I think the text is very open, especially when you ask where Cain got his wife questions like that. Right. I think having yeah. multiple people around, in this case, again, I'm aligned with Walton, where Adam was kind of like an archetype, a representative, as it were. And, right, so you identify with him, yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah, as yeah. you can guess, I, I'm heavily indebted to John Walton, a lot from my Old Testament views. He's a brilliant guy. I've been honored to meet him several times and, mm -hmm. and read him. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. So, then we move on from there a bit, and yes, I realize I'm kind of rushing through, but we, we can always backtrack some if we need to, and we get to the account of a serpent, and this one can be extremely difficult for some people, because they're going to say, okay, was that an actual snake, and did snakes once talk and walk, and then did snakes get cursed so that they then crawl on the ground? I mean, that's the first part, so let's start with the serpent. Well, you know, if we read Genesis against the background story, mm. uh, a serpent depriving someone seeking immortality of his prize, uh, basically causing the human to be disqualified, that's not a new thing with Genesis. Mm -hmm. I mean, you find that in the Gilgamesh epic. And our approach in Genesis is to say that each of the little stories in those first 11 chapters meant something at the time in that culture. And they're nearly all simply rewrites with a twist mm -hmm. of accounts that were circulating already. So the question of, oh, 
was it a talking snake? Is it an actual snake? What species of snake was it? That's what, that's our modern questions. The ancient question would be, what does it mean? You know, why was he cheated out of immortality? And can we get it back? Mm-hmm. So I just think we're asking very modern questions, which the Bible doesn't address directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we ask this also, we have to then ask about what happened as a result. There's a lot of controversy when you look at things because God says when you eat the fruit, you will die the very day. Well, mm. if you mean physical death, I think Genesis makes it clear Adam and Eve lived quite a few years after that day. So what happened? Did they die? That's a, it's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think most biblical scholars would say that that death is spiritual death we're referring to. It's the separation, the alienation mm-hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose you could argue that they deserve to die and God showed mercy because mm-hmm. grace is a theme in Genesis. But in Genesis 5, you read Adam lived to be 930. As, as Paul and I argue in our book, these are symbolic numbers. They have symbolic meanings. We'll get to, we'll get to those later on. So let's oh, that. I see. We're going to move through all the chapters. Well, I'll try the best I can. Okay, Nick. You're doing mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, I would take it actually that they, kind of, they did die that day, but physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. You're saying, a you, you, death. you would say they died, they died spiritually, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. And sometimes atheists ask question where, geez, the, the fruit is supposed to be the fruit of a tree of good and evil. So how could Adam and Eve have not have known they shouldn't have done that if they didn't know what evil was? Right. Well, there's there's knowing something's wrong and then there's knowing mm-hmm. from the inside, you know, mm-hmm. as a willing participant. I mean, I I know adultery is wrong. I've never committed adultery. I don't need to commit adultery to understand it's wrong. So I, mm-hmm. I have a knowledge of it on one level, but not the not the mm-hmm. participatory or experiential level, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Justin Briley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith. So you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. I can remind everyone at this point you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. I got Dr. Douglas Jacoby here talking about his book, They Co-Vote Origins, co with Paul Capan. But if you're here next week, we're going to have Dr. Robert McIver on. We're going to be talking about Jesus' memory in the Synoptic Gospels. Can we trust oral tradition in the New Testament? Okay, well, let's get back now to Dr. Jacoby. Okay, well, how about also this big question. Was there death in the world before the fall? Because, you know, Adam says, or Paul says, death came through sin. And so if you have even something like animal death, isn't that a problem? Doesn't that refute what Paul said? Yeah, in, in Romans 5, I don't think Paul's referring to physical death or physical life. I mean, for example, I think it's verse 19, he says that, you know, death came to all men because all sin, but life comes to all men through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying that people are physically dead and then they come to life. 
mm-hmm. uh, in knowing Christ, it's a, it's a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. If, the, if it's parallel, if Paul's parallel works out in the most parallel way possible, then these are spiritual life and death, not physical life and death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I often have to ask, I mean, one of the questions I like to ask people who come from this persuasion of, you know, that there's being no, uh, no death beforehand, no predation. I'm going to ask a question. Okay. Why do porcupines have quails? <laughs> you understand what I'm asking, but I'm sure. Well, yeah, there's this idea that the world was, that the world being good, God's creation yeah. being very good meant that there was no death, not that there was no suffering of any kind for any species. That's something we're reading into the text. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we do it at the other end. You have descriptions of the messianic kingdom with, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the wolf and the lamb and, and the child mm-hmm. playing with the serpent. I, I take all of these as metaphor. I think when you make, when you literalize them, you end up making the text say less than it does. And we're asking, again, the wrong questions. Or as that great theologian Linus Van Pelt said, the beagles and the <laughs> bunnies shall lie down together. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I missed that somehow. Mm-hmm. But I love those Peanuts cartoons. Mm-hmm. And there's also the... Uh, well, actually, that's a book. You can buy it on Amazon if you want to. But there's also a question of what kind of changes would have to be made because the digestive system of a carnivore or an omnivore is vastly different from an herbivore. Right. A, a, a lion's not going to eat grass. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've been to Africa and seen them on the savanna, it's... Yeah, I think, again, these are the... These questions come out of uh, an orientation towards the scripture that needs adjusting. And that's what we're trying to do in, in this mm-hmm. book. Otherwise, we get tangled in the weeds. All these questions about death and Noah and Adam and the talking snake. And we're missing the important theological message. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the theological message at this point is? Uh, in Genesis, that God created us not out of a need of his own, not because mm-hmm. he needed slaves. Slave yeah. labor, which is kind of what the ancients thought, but mm-hmm. out of love, uh, that there's only one God. Um, there's no image in his temple. We're the image. We bear that mm-hmm. responsibility. He relates to us. Uh, he's He offers grace when we fall. That's a recurring theme in Genesis, especially in the first mm-hmm. 11 chapters and and so forth. God is involved in our lives. It's just that this is not the God the ancients worshipped. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say it's a theological message. And unless we you know, appreciate that and know who God is, we're going to be confused about matters of our own origin and destiny and purpose mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah, I, I I have a fear that when we try and read science into a text, treat it as a scientific text, mm. we're, I mean, I have no reason to think the ancients were interested in scientific matters like that whatsoever. And I don't think Genesis was written just to satisfy our curiosity any more than I think mm. Revelation was written for the exact same reason. That's well put, I think. Mm. You know, like the firmament, we have mm. a, even some modern translations want to render the word firmament as sky, whereas firmament, well, that's from the Latin, that means something that's firm. Mm. The Greek Old Testament, the stereoma, is something that's stereo, something that's solid. Mm-hmm. Um, in Hebrew, rachia is something that's hard, it's beaten. And in the ancient world, you have a hard firmament, hemispherical, it has floodgates. When they open, the 
ocean above pours down, that freshwater ocean pours down mm. through the firmament, through the windows, onto the, this is the ancient uh, view of the world. And the writers of Genesis have no desire to correct that understanding. Mm. It's really immaterial. So, but what if someone wanted to hold to inerrancy? Would they be able to hold to inerrancy still? Well, most of the definitions of inerrancy that are accepted among Bible believers are that the Bible does not err in the things that it affirms. And of mm -hmm. course, the question is, is something incidental or does it aff affirm it? Mm -hmm. Like, is the, is the Bible saying that the earth is flat? It's a, mm -hmm. more like a circle than a sphere. Like Isaiah chapter 40, the mm -hmm. Lord sits above the circle of the earth. There's no sphericity. Mm -hmm. It's only circularity. Well, is that poetical? Or maybe they actually believed it was that way, but it doesn't matter. Or maybe the earth is a, is a circle. We have an usher in our church. I'm mm. always teasing him. Um, he's a flat earther. Mm. I'm sure you've run into this a little bit, but oh, people yes. can be intelligent. I said, well, listen, my friend, I've flown around the earth many times on a plane. What happens if I just keep going west? He said, well, you would be shot down by the fighter jets before you crashed into the firmament. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, conspiracy theories are very popular. Well, I, <laughs> I know there are flat earthers out there, but it's just, wow, you know. Well, they're quoting the Bible. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the sun goes around the earth in the Bible. It's not the earth going around the sun. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to let them take the Bible in that very literalistic, scientific way, then, well, they have a case. So don't complain if they use it to create an alternate science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when we talk about things in Bible forms, let's remember everyone, of course, that that does indeed include a virgin birth, which I do affirm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I affirm that as well. Okay. Though okay. it's hard to prove that from Genesis. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on then to get to Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. And this one seems mm. rather mild. I mean, people can accept what happens here or that. Sibling rivalry gets moved up to a whole new level, let's say. But where did King get his wife? Well, you mentioned earlier that mm. it looks to you like there's society outside of Eden, mm -hmm. outside where that first family was. And that is what the Bible seems to be saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the point it's yeah. meaning to say, but there are three things that lead us there. First, it's Cain's fear that whoever finds him will put him to death for murder. Mm -hmm. And the literalist can only say, well, he means his mother and father. They must have been very big disciplinarians. Uh, secondly, he got his wife. Thirdly, he builds a city. Mm -hmm. And to build a city just for his mother and father when no one else is on the earth, that doesn't work. Now listen, Nick, I know the literalist can say Genesis 5, 1 and 2 speak of Adam and Eve having further sons and daughters. And so you can have Cain marrying a sister or something. But again, I think we're barking up the wrong tree here. Yeah. And I think we could give a quick look at asking about the mark that was placed on him. Because, you know, the Mormon church, for instance, says, well, that's when the black race came into being. Now, of course, there are two marks. There's the mark on Cain, whatever that was, to mm -hmm. protect him. And that's Genesis 4. Mm -hmm. And then in Genesis 9, you have uh, Canaan, that is the son of Ham, is mm -hmm cursed and uh, the mark according to yes the more the book of mormon is very clear that's uh, the curse of having dark skin but if you're mm -hmm. righteous your skin will get lighter but if mm -hmm. you sin it'll get darker i mean I've, I've read the whole book of mormon it's in there yeah I, i've read it too 
Yeah, chloroform in print, as Mark Twain said. That's right, chloroform in print. Mm. Not a gracious thing to say towards them, but uh, it's hard. I find the Quran yeah. much easier. I, I find the Quran pretty hard to read as well. But, um, so what do you think the mark was? Well, the the mark on Cain or the or the, the, the mark or whatever the punishment was in Genesis 9. That's the mark curse on of Cain. Ham. On Cain, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the point is it's a, it, God is protecting him. And it's not like mm. in the scarlet letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne has this letter A on, what's her name? Boy, it's been a Hector long time Prin. since. Seventh grade. Yeah, Hester Prince. So Hester A Prin. for adultery. I think it's not to stigmatize him. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's protection. It's mm-hmm. grace. So we see grace towards the couple, Adam and Eve, when they sin. Grace towards Cain. We see grace towards the earth. When everyone is guilty of the sin of violence, he, he spares a family, Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, the flood, and so forth. But grace abounding. And it's not a New Testament thing. Grace is an Old Testament thing. Okay, let's move on then to Genesis 5, which we were going to talk a little bit about earlier. And this one, okay, I'm at this point in the book when I was reading for it, I got a little bit lost. And I'm someone who loves math, even. It's, oh, it's, it's a hard chapter. It's very understandable. I mean, the, chap- the chapter in our book is hard. Yeah. Uh, that chapter in the, in the Bible is hard, too. Mm. Because... But, you look and you read it and you have all these people living hundreds of years. And then mm-hmm. even later on, Joseph, I think, lives 120 years. Uh, Moses lives about 130 years. What's going on with all these people, especially since Moses himself wrote, you know, usually 80, maybe 90 if we're strong. What's going on? Well, right. Um, what, what we believe is that there, there are two systems of numbers or age, ages going on. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a idealized age, mm-hmm. and uh, we, and then there's the actual age. So in Egypt, the idealized the ideal age of the, the righteous virtuous man is 110, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the number given to Joseph. For the Hebrews, it's 120. Although there are a lot of people in Genesis, and even some after Genesis who seem to live longer than that. Uh, so. Ages that tell us something about uh, a, a person, a symbolic kind of age, is not something just in the Bible. In the mm-hmm. in the background literature, um, the the Sumerian king lists in particular, mm-hmm. we have uh, some incredibly uh, long ages, mm-hmm. particularly oh, yeah. reigns um, before the flood. According to the Sumerians, you have a king live, reigning for twenty, almost twenty nine thousand years. And, Another one, 43,000 years. After the flood, uh, they tend to reign more in the hundreds of years. Uh, something is going on. I'm not sure we can explain it or understand it completely. But the in Genesis, the spotlight has moved off the kings onto regular people, mm-hmm. and particularly righteous people. The numbers aren't inflated as they are in the pagan accounts, but they're still very big. And as you and I know, there's no anthropological evidence that ancient humans lived to be hundreds of years. Lots of mm. skeletons have been found, DNA has been analyzed, no one made it that long. Mm. So I think um, we need to, we benefit here in this case from the symbolic numbers given in the pagan accounts. Mm. 
Should I stop there? I, no, you can, I, please keep I'm, going because people are going to wonder what what symbolic numbers. Okay. I share I share about it. My, I took my wife once to an opera because there was a song we loved, and in the opera, there the chorus is singing to the Chinese emperor. You know, may he live ten thousand years. Mm-hmm. And that's just the kind of thing you say now. I mean, if you said may he live five thousand years, I guess you'd be implying you hope he gets cut down in his prime. Mm-hmm. But the ancient Chinese knew they knew people didn't live 10,000 years. They mm-hmm. lived how, how long they lived, 50, 70, 80, whatever. But they're things you say. Yeah. And becoming a, a familiar with those conventions will help us fall uh, for, not to fall into the trap. We're trying to defend something that's indefensible. Mm. Yeah, I'm remembering right now, Atama, we took a picture of our cat here. And we did a little bit of photo editing or something could be done if I want and put a crown on his head in a picture and sent to a friend of mine who kept saying immediately, Long live the king. Long live the king. That is funny. <laughs> but but aren't cats queens? Yeah. I guess there are such things as male cats. <laughs> yeah, we've got one. We love our cat. We love our dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are these symbolic numbers? I mean, people wouldn't make much... Since that one, what what can you tell my audience so that they can understand this better? Well, it's um, this is difficult to explain um, in a short conversation, except to say that there seem to be two systems of numbers going on, mm-hmm. and it seems that the old system is playing with the number sixty. These are base sixty, what's called sexagesimal. Mm-hmm. So you'll find. Uh, multiples of 60 and 12 or 1,200 or 12,000. And I I would just invite readers to look at the charts. We've tried to highlight that and make that as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. But if these numbers are taken literally, we really uh, get into trouble. Um, So we're talking about numerology. I know to some people they say, well, Douglas, you're not being honest with the text. I think all Bible readers run up against this in one area or another sooner or later. Mm-hmm. We see the stylized numbers in the book of Judges. A judge reigns for 40 years, or maybe double 40 years, 80, or half of 40, rules for 20. Mm-hmm. We, that number 40 comes around so often, it's fair to ask, is it a literal 40, or is that something that's stylized? It's like just something Jesus that you being said. in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking, and yet we know... If you went just three days without water, you're dead. Well, that's right. <laughs> now, it's, it seems like it was a long fast, but if, if he was there 50 days or 36 days, I wouldn't accuse the gospel writers of deceit. Yeah. But, you know, is it a literal 40 days? I think so. Um, I need a reason if I'm not going to take it um, literally. Mm. But in the case of the ages, we have multiple reasons because we have the pagan background We've got the paleoanthropological evidence, you know, the skeletal mm-hmm. evidence of ancient humans. And we have, uh, well, it seems like something's going on. You have the, the ages that are almost 1,000, and then they come down to the low hundreds. Something is going on. Something has changed. And I think the Genesis writer is telling us that, that there's a move away from that primeval time when everything was grand. It got worse and worse. And these are some of the consequences. Uh, We're even farther away from immortality.
Okay, well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do is done through the support of people just like you listening to the show, appreciating what we do. And I'd like to encourage you, please go to our website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on the side to help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click that link, you get taken into the ministry of Risen Jesus. You're still at the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation. You can get in touch with me or my wife, Allie, or Mike or Debbie. And say, hey, I made a donation. I won't go to Nick Peters. I won't go to Deeper Waters. We will give that donation. It will be tax deductible. You can buy e-books that I have written. Um, a, a Creed for the Ages is the main one I've written. Hopefully by this time we'll have out the book that I, I've just recently sent off to for e-publishing, which I think is going to be terribly titled for now, Dawkins and the Dark, a look at Richard Dawkins' <laughs> latest book, Outgrowing God. Then co-written, we got the Mention of Project, of course, God, Natural Disasters, Defining Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, Groundless, uh, Christian Answers to This Generation's Questions. And uh, if you can't buy a book or anything like that, please consider going on iTunes and leaving a positive review for Deeper Waters podcast. I really love to see them, people. And Dr. Jacoby, do you have an organization or a charity you'd like to see people donate to? Well, people are always welcome to donate. Uh, my international Bible teaching ministry, it's just called IBTM. That's the legal uh, mm. name for it. But if they feel good about my ministry, uh, it's good to visit the website. It's douglasjkb.com. Uh, it's a good 10,000 pages. It's a very dynamic site. It keeps um, mm. getting more. I have nearly 1,000 audio lessons and podcasts. I've got, mm. I don't know, um, eventually we'll hit 2,000 Q&As, but there's a, mm. there's a lot there. And, uh, yeah, that, I wasn't expecting you to make that offer, but, mm-hmm. yeah, this visit me at my site, douglasjacoba.com. Yeah. Um, do you have anything on your site, since we were just talking about all these years, any charts on your site for that so that people can look it up if they want to? Charts on what, Nick? The years in Genesis 5. Oh, yeah, yeah, there are articles and links, absolutely. Okay. So, people, if you want to know the full story of what Dr. Jacoby is talking about here, just go to douglasjacoby.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-Y. That's how you spell the last name. Now, let's move on in to the next chapter. Even before we get to the flood, mm. there's something very interesting in this passage about the sons of God were on the earth at the time. Yes. Who are the sons of God? Well, I think we leave it open in our book, but there, there are at least three very common views. One is that the angel, sons of God, uh, sometimes the sons of God uh, seem to be human rulers, as in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I think it's Psalm 82. Uh, yeah. Others would say the sons of God are the godly lineage of Seth, intermarrying with the wicked lineage of Cain. That was mm-hmm. a view that Augustine made popular around the year 400. Michael Heiser, in his book, The Unseen Realm, which I just read last month, mm-hmm. um, has the sons of God as semi-divine beings of members of God's council who are in charge of certain geographical, mm-hmm. political areas. I'm still weighing that. I'm not. Paul and I aren't sure on that one. I, I did talk to Paul about that. 
Uh, but I think the way it's being portrayed is the way all the ancient gods were portrayed. Uh, they have a council, um, and in their count, you know, the god addresses the council. Uh, so somehow there is a, a crossing of a barrier, a border, a boundary that should not have happened. And in the ancient world, there are multiple stories where divine or angelic beings lust mm -hmm. after humans, usually women, mm -hmm. and then they have sex, they procreate, and then their offspring are giants. Mm -hmm. Well, I know in the Hebrew Bible, it says Nephilim, which is literally the fallen ones. But in the Greek Old Testament, which the Jews translate, that's what I study every day. There, it says gigantes, it says giants. And that is the way mm -hmm. most Christians and Jews the last two to 3,000 years have understood the Nephilim to be these offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Michael Heiser has been on our show twice before. The most recent time he was talking about his newest book that he's written about stranger things in Christianity. You definitely had to get that one in. I only know the stranger things on Netflix. Yes. One of my kids one. showed that to me. That's for one. He's a big fan of it. So let's go on to right. the flood here. And once again, this is one of the things mm -hmm. that, you know, if you do not take the flood as being global and covering the whole world where you are denying scripture. Mm. Right. Of course, a lot of God-fearing men and women believe the flood was local, mm -hmm. like, a, like a river flood or the Black Sea flood or something larger. Mm -hmm. Um. If we look at the, the shape of the earth in Genesis, in fact, in the Old Testament and the New mm -hmm. Testament, the earth is more or less flat. It has mountains, but it's not spherical. And so a flood would cut, would have to cover the whole earth. Mm -hmm. It would cover the whole thing because, well, um, it's like a, a room. I'm in my office right now in Atlanta looking out at all the trees. But if my, we've never flooded here, but if it flooded, it would flood everywhere because it's completely uh, even and flat. Mm -hmm. So that issue of what was the extent of the flood, I think, is uh, we're, we're not being totally fair unless we respect what they thought about the shape of the earth. But the idea was to clean the earth, to give it a new beginning, not just to give it a, a sponge bath or a little bit of a, a clean here or there. Mm -hmm. So if depending on how we take that, it looks like it's a global thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, the in the pagan accounts, the flood was sent because the humans were disturbing the gods sleep. Yeah. Yep. The God, and they were the humans are just too noisy. They're proliferating. So they send the flood to drown them. But it kind of backfires because the floodwaters are rising up. The gods themselves are afraid. They're pressed up against the edge of the firmament thinking they're going to drown. And they're very anxious and, of course, deprived of sacrifice until uh, the humans come out of the the craft and give them a sacrifice mm -hmm. so many you know to people who've studied this like you and many others these may not be new thoughts but probably to most bible readers these are they're saying what i didn't yeah. hear that in sunday school yeah i remember hearing about how they would when the, when the offering came that the gods swarmed around it like flies right like flies because and that's just when it i think that was the babylonian account it was only a two-week mm -hmm. flood mm-hmm you know, in the in the Bible, the flood is about a year long. Mm -hmm. So, are are you telling me that the ark being built in Kentucky could be missing the point? <laughs> could be missing the point. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned our friend John Walton, who's arguing persuasively that mm -hmm. 
the ark was probably made of reeds or rushes. And mm -hmm. so the shape is all wrong, uh, for one thing. And of course, the Mormons have the Garden of Eden being in Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, you just mentioned Kentucky, great people in Kentucky and Missouri, but mm -hmm. uh, I think this they're missing the, the whole point. And there's a similar project you may have heard of in, in the Netherlands. No, I haven't. In, in, in Holland, there's, a, uh, there's an ark as well. Mm. These things, they fascinate us as adults and as children. Mm -hmm. But we've missed the whole point. Why, why did he send the flood? Well, because of sin. Because it was, there, was, there was no way to, uh, we had to start over. It was the only hope for mankind. And particularly the sin of violence. Mm -hmm. In our society, in, in America, we're fairly inured to that. Mm -hmm. Movies get a, a strict rating if there's a lot of sex in them. When mm -hmm. I lived in Sweden, it was the other way around. They yeah. let the sexual stuff slip. But if there was violence in there, mm -hmm. you, I mean, the, the movie really got a high rating. I saw Cape Fear, uh, Robert De Niro version of Cape Fear when we lived in Sweden, and it was missing about 20 minutes. The censors took it out. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that on this side of the world, we're, we're, we're desensitized. But the Bible says God takes violence very seriously. And that was the that was probably the worst sin. And that's what triggers the flood. I've actually never seen Cape Fear, so I have no idea what you're talking about with that. Oh, okay. It's one of those lawyer puts a guy in prison, the guy bides his time when he's released, he comes back for revenge. Mm. Familiar theme. Yeah. A, l a little dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, uh, I, one of my favorite movies growing up, and it's two of favorite one of mine, I'm sure would be would have been censored heavily, that'd be the Matrix trilogy, especially the third one wasn't so good, but the rest of them were pretty awesome. Yeah, the second one was, was good. The first one was amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll confess to you, I've seen it six or seven times. Yeah. The last time was last month. Mm -hmm. okay. but, but with the Matrix, you destroy it mm -hmm. if you start objecting on scientific grounds. It's, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the version of reality it gives to us mm -hmm. that actually can... There's some correspondences with the Bible in there, as you know. Okay, let's talk briefly then about the Mark of Canaan. And first off, when Noah gets uncovered, the Bible could be very euphemistic at this point, couldn't it? Yeah, probably so. What's going on in the passage? Well, in Genesis 9, the uh, Ham sees his father... Uh, he was drunk, um, mm -hmm. apparently for the first time, mm -hmm. and there's something about it that excites him. Mm -hmm. He comes out, he tells his brothers, hey, you know, father is naked, and they walk, they have respect and modesty. They walk in backwards holding a cover of some kind, and they cover up the, the nakedness of their father. Uh, we're not told what Ham did, but it looks like he did or thought or said something perverse. Mm -hmm. and, and as a result, when Noah is sober, he curses Ham's life by cursing his progeny. Mm -hmm. So he has the son Canaan. Now, what's going on here? Canaan, that's, isn't that the people living in the, what will be the land of Israel? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's a coincidence that Ham's uh, descendants are Canaan. Mm -hmm. Now, even in the time of Abraham, in uh, like Genesis 15, I think it's verse 16. It says the sin of those people had not reached its full measure. It was still yeah. going to be hundreds of years before God would commission the Israelites under Joshua to clean up and clear out Canaan. Mm 
-hmm. But the connection uh, between, it's the same word, between Canaan, the son of Ham, and Canaan, the land of Canaan, that's not coincidental. Mm -hmm. Okay. We are running low on time. We've still got a little bit more to cover. So let's get to... I'm just talking too much. That's what you're saying. But it's okay. I (laughs) I, I can accept that. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm trying to have the right balance going on here. The Tower of Babel. I mean, Mm. some people can say, there never was a time when all the world had one language. I understand there are some people that will dispute that. But what's the take that you've got on the Tower of Babel? Well, of course, the language thing is very interesting. And I've read a lot of books about the development of languages and They don't seem to all come from one. Uh, But again, that may be an interesting question, but not the right question. The Tower of Babel seems to be an example of a ziggurat. Mm -hmm. And in the ancient Near East, these are stepped pyramids or pyramid temples, but not pyramids in the classic Egyptian shape. They're they're stepped. And it's a place where the gods can come down to earth. Uh, uh, The priests would be at the top. They would visit, uh, climb up to the top, not the common people. And this is a way that the priesthood would be able to not only make predictions based on the stars, but Mm -hmm. claim uh, inspiration from the gods, and they would rule the people. Uh, Dozens of ziggurats have been discovered in the ancient Near East. The great ziggurat of Ur is probably the most famous. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's, it's, In the story, there's irony, and it it verges on sarcasm. God says to his counsel, yeah, we we notice there's a little, there's something going on down there on the earth. They're looking way down, and it's like just a little bump. So they come down to the surface, and they see, isn't that cute? They're building a tower. Yeah, and the whole thing is, this is a tower that's supposed to give them all the way up to heaven. And then when heaven's going to, I think I see something down there. Right. So it's, it, there's a kind of mockery, which we find in many chapters of the Bible, like in Job or in First mm-hmm. Kings 18 with Elijah and the Baal worshippers. Mm-hmm. And so people are trying to make a name for themselves and not lose power. And this is another mm-hmm. example of God's grace. In Genesis 1 to 11, it's the last major example of God's grace before the call of Abraham. He protects mankind from itself by striking them so that they no longer understand each other. They're talking past each other and they... They separate. Mm-hmm. So, so much for the, the putting faith in technology. These were bricks that were specially prepared and something that to us seems very tall, of course, to God, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not that tall, not that impressive. Yeah. You know, some people like to look at the text and say, well, this is a God who doesn't know what's going on. He's not omniscient. He has to go check things out. And really, it's God just poking fun. At the people. Yeah. He, he does know. It's like in the garden, he says to Adam, where are you? And then he says in chapter four, when Cain kills Abel, uh, he says to Cain, where's your brother? These are not questions for God's knowledge. These are things to make us think. They're simply questions for us to answer. So that's what, what you were referring to, I think. Yeah. So what was so what was the punishment there when the languages were divided then? When he was this... The first time, or what? Well, it's the only time we read about in, in Genesis, and mm-hmm. people go in different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have these 70 or so nations and 70 or so languages, and they go in different directions, and 
from one of those, God will call one man, Abram, Abraham. He's mentioned later in the book and uh, later in that, uh, that chapter. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a dominant character from especially chapter 12 to 25 or so. Mm-hmm. So now this book here, I mean, <clears throat> naturally, we it's a sad case that you wrote that you all didn't write the book and then everyone me said, Oh, okay, now we know what happened and we all beat our swords in the plowshares and we all came out together and sang Kumbaya and we were very happy at point on. How should we handle our disagreements still amongst ourselves as Christians on origins? Even I mean, because, you know, where people are going to disagree with your book, you're going to disagree with us. How should we better handle these? Well, we should handle these with grace and with respect. Uh, these are not matters of salvation. Of course, mm-hmm. Genesis speaks of salvation. But, I mean, your understanding of the flood or the shape of the ark or who the mm-hmm. first human was has nothing to do with your salvation or anyone else's. And we should never make that um, a, an issue of mm-hmm. fellowship. But some churches do. Mm-hmm. I, in the book I share, one day I was I was uh, sharing my faith on the streets of London, where I lived for many years, and someone invited me to their church. I went in, and the whole church was mm-hmm. built on on the young earth. If you mm-hmm. didn't think the earth was six thousand years old, Satan had possessed your soul. And I, I was in this fellowship, and it was a small group. No wonder they all turned on me, and they told mm-hmm. me I was the seed of the devil because I didn't agree with their view. That's just crazy. I, mm-hmm. We all change our minds on things. Yeah. We've got to focus on what's on what's at the heart, not at the periphery. I, I can't but think of what uh, Francis Beckworth sometimes says about debates, and this is usually with fellow Christians, or it can happen with people of other religions as well. It says, if they can't beat you with logic, they will trump you with spirituality. As oh. in the sayings of, you know... Yeah. Trump you with spirituality. Yeah, brother, you just uh, you know you need to be more submissive to the Holy Spirit and listen to what's right, being said. Right, because then that you would agree with us. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we we will agree on more things when we talk more, when we communicate more with respect. But we're never going to agree on mm-hmm. everything, and I don't think that's essential. Unity, mm-hmm. unity means we're connected, even if we disagree. Not. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't disagree on anything. That's not unity. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the person out there who is struggling with their faith in Jesus? Because, you know, they're still, they, let's suppose they even go for your book and say, you know, I, I still don't know what to think about Genesis. I don't know what to do, and it feels like my faith's hanging on a, on a string right now. Well, when, sadly, when people are in that kind of predicament, it's because they've been taught that unless you take this one very specific way, narrow way, mm-hmm. then you should th- you have to throw out the Bible. That you don't. It's not God's word unless our group is right in the way we read this passage. And someone has done them a great disservice. We need to somehow get them to to relax and exhale and understand that mm-hmm. you're not required to have a specific view on a thousand different biblical topics in order. To, for you to be a recipient of God's grace. Sadly, We've I've got seen to set happen. people free. Yeah. Sadly, I've seen it happen all too often. <sighs> Me too, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, just... I encourage, I, I don't want people to give up on the Old Testament. Yeah. There's 
one famous Atlanta preacher said you should uncouple the gospel from the Old Testament because it's just going to cause problems. That's not right. I think it's the I same know God in both Testaments. About. Yeah, I think you do. Um, uh, but we we don't need to move away from the Old Testament. That was Jesus and the Apostles' Bible. But yeah. uh, we need to look at Jesus didn't make certain understandings of Genesis the issue, uh, mm -hmm. what made people his followers. Mm -hmm. It was really their priorities in life. Mm -hmm. uh, were they going to be obedient or not? It wasn't, did they fully understand? Thank goodness we're not saved by knowledge. Mm -hmm. Well, the book is called Origins, The Ancient Impact and Modern Implications of Genesis 1-11. As of a time of recording on Kinder, it is $8.49 on Amazon. A paperback version is $13.49. Um, Dr. Jacoby, do you have a blog, website, and email, or a way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Well, yeah, my website, uh, Douglas Jacoby, Jacoby or Jacoby dot com. Mm -hmm. And um, that's got a lot of material. You can you'll write to my team at the website. Uh, you can visit me when I speak. Currently, I'm in I'm a victim of the coronavirus, like many of us. And my upcoming trips to Asia mm -hmm. are, are getting canceled. And but I, I love meeting people in uh, face to face. OK, you don't have it yourself, right? Well, I don't know because I've not been tested, but I feel pretty good, even though okay. I'm at the at-risk stage. You can tell from the white color of my beard. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, people can contact me in many different ways. Uh, <clears throat> I welcome that. Yeah, and you and I are definitely going to have to get together sometime before you head out. That would be great, Nick. Yeah. Do you have any final message you'd like to leave for a Deeper Waters audience? Well, uh, it's probably a message that, that you're, you're constantly trying to get out yourself, which is to have open minds, not mm -hmm. open, not too open, open to anything and everything, but have open minds that we can recognize truth and fasten on the things that really matter and so that we can understand God's word better and, and know the Lord better. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very much the focus of my ministry is to make people think about their faith. It's not to make mm -hmm. them agree with me, although we may end up agreeing on some very important things, but no, they're just too much to know. And mm -hmm. I, I, I hope that for, you know, you've mentioned some books, I've mentioned some books. We, I think people who are attracted to podcasts like yours, mm -hmm. they're people who love books, but we yeah. need to be especially people of the book, the, the, the Bible itself. And whatever good habits we can get into, if you've never finished the Bible, please finish it. If you have oh, not yeah. read it disciplinedly, read it every year. Um, but the rest of my life, it doesn't matter how long I live. I'm, <clears throat> I'm really just scratching the surface, but it's so exciting, yeah. and I still love learning, and I hope that our <laughs> listeners will, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully, we'll see you back here again sometime. You're very welcome, Nick. Thank you. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week on the show, we're going to have Dr. Robert McIver on talking about Jesus' memory of synoptic gospels or tradition. Can we trust it? For now, I am Nick Peters, I affirm the virgin birth, and I am signing off.